0: Being a data-driven executive. Oh, we all love using those words, those little catchphrases, those little buzzy words that float around the ecosystem of entrepreneurs and founders on an almost daily basis. Well, what does it mean to be data-driven, to really be driven by data? It sounds great. It sounds fantastic. Who doesn't want numbers to steer and guide you? Well how do you get them? How do you find them? Where does the data come from? Do you have the right data? Those are the questions that need to be asked. And the answers are hard and elusive. Fortunately, we've got some of those today on the podcast.
1: Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Todd
0: Wilkes. Hello, welcome to the podcast. We have a data-driven executive extraordinaire. Mike Moran lives and breathes data. He grew up around it. He's found it, fostered it. He finds it. He connects with it. He loves data. And he knows how to find it for himself and for his clients. What's the right way? What's the wrong way? How to get it? Where to get it? How to take the process and make it yours? So I'm going to let Mike do all the talking, but be prepared for a masterclass in finding, capturing, and using data appropriately. Take it away, Mike. Mike, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us why you're here. Sure, Um, I'm Mike Moran. Um, I have a pretty long background in technology
1: and marketing, especially data-driven marketing. I worked for IBM for 30 years and ran big parts of their website for eight years. I retired from IBM in 2008 as a distinguished engineer, and since then I've had my own consulting company helping big, you know, everything from startups to large companies really adopt data-driven marketing. I'm also a uh, advisor to several marketing startups. Um, Revealed Context is one, Conversions another, Solo Segments another, and they all are based around different kinds of marketing analytics. My technical background is in natural language processing and machine learning. And so I'm usually pretty good at knowing what to do with the data once we get it. But uh, one of the big things that always comes up first is what data do you need and how do you even design a culture around data-driven marketing? And those are the kinds of things that tend to have to happen first before you can run out and apply any exciting technology to it.
0: Well, Mike, that's perfect because you actually teed off into the very first question I was going to ask. And, you know, since you are, you're the data guy. And as you come into organizations, right, you, you are, um, that's, your, that's your brand, right? They look at you and ask you, you know, questions around how to uh, get data, how to use it, how to utilize it. And so we'll take a step back here. You know, I think most founders and organizations know that they need data, especially when it comes to interacting with their market, interacting with their customers. They need to know what's working, what's not working. So everybody knows that they need data. I don't think there's a surprise there. It's the next layer question of, okay, so how do I get it? What do I do with it? Where do I get it from? How much do I spend to get it? Who's going to help me do it? What do I do with it once I have it? Um, I think those are the questions that start keeping founders up at night. So so let's start there. Let's start with this idea, you mentioned it here, of a data-driven culture. What are some of those questions that are being asked by CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs when you're coming on board, and, and how do you start addressing those when they start the conversation like that? Um, well, I think that the kinds of questions that you you asked are really very common,
1: and if those are the ones keeping them up at night, then I guess I'm the one who puts them to sleep. Actually, that didn't sound that good, did it? So, well, <laughs> the, uh, thing that, the, the thing that uh, I think that we really need to focus on is most of the time, founders of companies really are data-driven people. Um, they may not have a marketing background, but they know how to use data, so if it's a uh, software technology company, they know how to, how to focus on on sales, right? Or they know how to focus on the engineering side. They don't know how many bugs they've got. They know whether people are using their product because they're counting usage. Um, it, they're also looking at um, their CRM system and they're saying how many clients are in the pipeline and how many Uh, have accepted the first meeting and how many this and how many that, right? So most founders really are data driven in certain areas, whether it's finance or whether it's technology or whether it's sales, they've got some kind of background that really is data driven. And so I don't think that's the founders themselves that typically need any kind of culture change. I think founders are usually very competitive people and they're always trying to figure out how to win. And they always want to know how to keep score. And so all that we're talking about here is how to keep score in marketing. So that's what's a little bit different is that most of them don't have a background in marketing. There's very few founders that are marketing people. And I'm not sure what that says about marketing people, but uh, (laughs) what what it really means is that what you have to do is you have to take the skills you already have and apply them to the things you care about. So, a lot of the times what the the real linchpin is, the place to start, is to try and figure out what is the connection between marketing and sales for my business. So, and it depends on what kind of business you have, what that connection could be. I mean, if you're selling some product in a grocery store, then your connection between marketing and sales might be something you have to really work out through your point-of-sale system with your retailers, right, where you're doing couponing, and so you're finding out who bought stuff, and then the marketing is about how do you distribute the coupons. If you're a B2B company, your marketing might have to do with attracting people with content to come to your website, and then how do you get them to then say, I would like you to contact me Um, or how do you set up a phone number that's nowhere but on your website and so when people call that phone number you know they were on your website so a lot of the place that you start with data is to understand how you ring the cash register and then figuring out how you then tie those marketing uh, marketing metrics to the sales metrics and for some businesses it's really hard I mean if you're I mean, not too many founders of pharmaceutical companies, but if you're in pharmaceuticals, um, it's quite difficult to know what, how, how your marketing led to sales. There's some businesses where it's rather tricky, but for most of them, there's ways that you can kind of connect the data where you kind of say ankle bone connected to the shin bone. And so if we can connect <laughs> this data to this data to this data, now all of a sudden we can start to see which marketing's leading to sales. And so that's one of the places that you usually start.
0: And so once they go through that step, and and I'm going to back up a little bit. I agree with you. I think um, most of them don't have the marketing discipline and that this is new territory for them. Um, But once you take that that first step of, okay, so now I'm starting to connect and I'm going to create this skeleton to continue that analogy. Um, And I want to see where the connections are between the customer, the person that I'm looking to have by, the behaviors that they have to finally come to me? How do I manage them through that pipeline? What are some of the things that you start doing and working with them once they get this idea of, okay, I want to make this connection between point A and point B?
1: So it varies a great deal based on what kind of business you have. And it also varies, you know, whether you're kind of a transactional business or you're kind of a long-term value business. So if, um, you know, if you're if you're a car dealer, um, as much as people want to talk about how they love their customers and they want customers for life, the truth is that they're a lot more motivated by getting the next car out the door and they know after they sell it to you, they're not going to see you for another five years. And so there's only so much that they're willing to to do in terms of kind of a relational sale. Um, so there's some businesses that just by their nature are just more transactional than others. Um, in, if, you, uh, if you, on the other hand, have a business where once you sell something, you have a very good chance of selling five more things. So if you're like, if you're a consultant like I am, once I have a company start to work with me, the chances are that we're going to find, you know, three, four or five more things to do over the next few years that I can help them with. And so for me, the business is not about whatever the first sale was. The business is about um, what they call customer lifetime value. So how is it that you know, what is, so what you're really trying to do is figure out what is it worth to actually succeed? So is the, is your success the worth of an individual transaction or is your success the lifetime value of the customer? And so, um, so we use consulting as an example of lifetime value, but I mean, there's other really simple examples. I mean, if you're a dentist. I, I don't think that you're gonna judge your marketing as to whether you make your money back in marketing on the first cleaning. Right. So people come in, they make an initial appointment, but that's only the first thing. You know that that from your own um, data that you have already that says, once someone walks in as a new client, there's like a 95% chance that they're gonna come back again in six months, and, and what's really true is, I know they're gonna stay with me for an average of seven years, because eventually they move away, or something happens, and so I eventually lose them, but that's worth an awful lot of money to get that person in the door for the first appointment. And so, you have to first start to ask yourself, what is the value of a success? When we win, when we get a new customer, is it only the value of the transaction or is it a value of the whole experience that they have with us for years to come? And so customer lifetime value tries to do that. What it does is it uses um, an economic term, net present value. So it's really discounting all the future revenues in today's money and saying, that's what it's that's what it's approximately worth today. And so your goal should be to try to figure out how you take the net present value of the profit that you're going to make on that client. And then you want to make sure that your average marketing costs per new customer acquisition are less than that, you know, probably significantly less than that because you want to make a profit. But that's a way to start thinking about marketing as how much do you invest in order to get a new customer. And and usually they call that customer acquisition costs. And many people just kind of, Without thinking, they invest based on the first transaction, and I would argue that for some businesses that might be fine, but for most businesses, you want to be thinking a little bit, a little more broadly
0: than that. Well, and and I think this starts to take marketing. And one of the complaints, concerns, obstacles we've heard from folks when it comes to the discipline of marketing is that marketing is a bit of a black box for them. It's a it's a, you know, it's a secret voodoo organization that they don't understand and haven't been able to be to comfortably crack the code. And so this starts to put the discipline of marketing around uh, numbers, uh, data, and, and it monetizes it. So it helps them put a framework around it that starts to get them thinking about how they're actually going to spend money across those acquisitions and what's a fair and reasonable amount for those investments. And at times turn the dials up for make a longer term investment, at times just to look at customer acquisition. But I think that's something that's been lacking for them in the past. So I, I would imagine getting to this level of conversation is uh, comforting, if not cathartic for them.
1: I think so. And I think the other thing that's true is that uh, it's, it's something that traditional marketing has not been very good at. So if you're doing TV commercials, if you're, you know, buying a booth at the trade show, it's a lot harder to to really do these kinds of things in a data-driven way because you basically have to make a bet to spend an enormous amount of your money, whatever, you know, a very big part of your marketing budget before you have any idea if it's working or not. And so digital marketing actually is more allowing you to do small experiments so you can You can buy some keywords in paid search and in a few days you can kind of assess whether we're getting some traffic to the site. Did we get any conversions based on that? You can kind of assess whether it's starting to work or not without having spent a great deal of money. And so you can start to do course corrections based on your analytics so that you can see which things are working and which things aren't working. And that can help you to feel a little more confident about then starting to ratchet up the spending. With a lot of the traditional marketing, and the reason marketing kind of got a bad name and kind of felt like a black box, as you put it, is that there's no easy way to predict ahead of time of how well it's going to work and that's true for digital marketing as well but you don't have to go all in without looking at your hand right you get to make little bets you get to bet on something and then you get to see how the betting's going and you get to then you know maybe decide i'm not going to put all my chips in the middle on this hand i'm just going to put a few in and see if i win right and so that's actually how digital marketing works and so um most companies really can't use traditional marketing. I mean, if you're a small company, if you're a B2B company, that most of the things that happen in traditional marketing aren't for you anyway. If you're Coke or you're, or you're Procter & Gamble, then great. You've got all sorts of traditional marketing and it works for you and you know how to do it, right? But the lot of the reputation marketing has was about that traditional marketing because people were trying to do things that really didn't work that well for their kind of business. And most founders, I think, understand that digital is really where the investment needs to go. But the way that you invest has to be very small experiments, things that can be easily reversed. Not decisions that, you know, are going to leave you embarrassed if they were wrong or leave you without all your money if you're wrong, right? So very small experiments. And as you start to see whether those things are working, you keep making changes to try and see if you can then get things to work. And so having that feedback loop that tells you whether, you know, when you put a quarter in, you got a dollar out, that's really the most important place to start because after that it gets fun because then you can start changing things any way you want and seeing what whether it's starting to work better or not and that's really how you kind of game the system so that it's now you are now making decisions based on data and so a lot of the times that requires kind of a culture change in the organization but the thing you have to start with first is the system that even gives you data that you
0: trust one of the things that I love I mean love about C-suite radio is well it's our sponsors They're the people that invest their time, effort, energy, their money into making this show happen, this network happen. So I'm super grateful. So in return, I'd love for you to take a listen to one of our sponsors today. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the interview. Okay, so now this is where I think this starts getting interesting because I I would imagine. I knew I'd get interesting eventually. <laughs> yeah, because up until now, it's it hasn't been interesting yes, but, at all. Yeah, I've been, put, I've been putting them to sleep just like I promised you. <laughs> I think this is good because this is where uh, I would imagine that there are a group of founders sitting here listening to this going, okay, I got it. Yep, and that all makes sense to me. And maybe there's some new information here. Maybe there's a bit of a rearticulation of how I've been thinking of it. But I, I get this. Okay, so now, now what do I do? Like, I'm there. You've got me, right? So now let's, let's close it. So what do they, how do they start thinking about putting the systems in place? Because I think this is where it gets complicated for most founders. It's one thing to say, I need to be digital. I need to be on social but now what do I do with it, right? And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, okay, how do you start holding their hand and walking them through that process and what does that look like?
1: The first thing you have to do is know where your cash register is and know how to count that. So if you're an e-commerce site, it's probably easy because you've got your e-commerce system you you know when people checked out you know how much money they spent so you you actually have a really good thing there but if you're if you sell offline you have to do that connection thing we talked about earlier figuring out how you connect the marketing to sales now there's some situations where that's really hard to do so if you can't connect your marketing to sales you can't discreetly know for each person who who bought something that they came from X, Y, or Z, then the next best thing to do is to then put together kind of an aggregation so you can say, for example, I don't know exactly which leads came from marketing to close, but I do know that every time I send a lead to marketing, on average, it's worth this much in profit to me. And so even if you just have those kinds of numbers where you're just taking a shot at it, you're going to do much better than people who don't use any numbers at all. And then from that point, what you do is you start looking at um probably your web analytics system, um, so Google Analytics or whichever one you're using because for you know 99% of companies, the website is the place where marketing happens. Marketing may happen in other places too, but almost always the purpose of that marketing is to drive people to the website. So the first thing you wanna do is pay attention to how many people are coming to the website to the extent you can figure out who they are, who are those people, where are they going? What are they searching for in your site search? So what do their intentions seem to be? What searches did they make on Google before they came to your site? What properties in social media did they look at before they got there? Now you're starting to gather activity data that says this is what people are doing. And what you want to do is try and figure out what their journeys are. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to buy your your products? Which product? Are they? What is it that they need to know before they're ready to buy that product? So if you can walk them through a buyer journey where you're starting to think about what questions do they have that you need to answer? What are kind of the things they're missing that they just don't understand that until they really get that fact filled in, they're not going to take the next step. And if you can then start to analyze which content and which campaigns and which marketing venues are starting to lead them to your website and what happens once they get to your website. And then you've you've connected that to either your online or offline sales. Now you've started to construct a data-based journey for your clients. Then you can start to see what the well-worn paths are. And now you have the opportunity
0: to start changing things and seeing how the numbers change. And so while they're while they're going through that and mapping that out, do how do you specifically help them through that? So is it is it um, you know, looking to have to help them educate themselves to do it? Is that the service you come in and deliver? Do you, do you advise them to have teams in place? Like if I'm putting myself in the shoes and empathizing with the founder, I'm bootstrapped. Maybe I've got a few people in my organization. Maybe I'm starting to grow and I'm, making, I'm looking to make some um, headcount decisions on what my marketing team looks like. Maybe I'm in a place where I've got my first leader in there. How do they leverage their existing resources to get them to the path you just described? So we actually focus on helping... Our clients,
1: whatever way they prefer to be helped. So we don't walk in with some kind of thing that says, "Okay, well, you're you're a you're a letter B, and so here's our plan B, right?" It's it's more like I mean, and and a lot of times what happens is we change the way we work with clients over time. So sometimes in the beginning, when we come in, they don't have a marketing team or they don't have a marketing team that's very skilled. And so sometimes we come in, help them with the strategy, help them wire their analytics together, help them to kind of do this stuff. And we have a lot of perform services. We have people we parachute in and they're actually doing this stuff. And sometimes they're doing it because there's no team. Sometimes they're doing it side by side with maybe a team that isn't as highly skilled. But after a while, you get to the point where that doesn't make sense for a company, right? You want to have these people in-house. And so then what we do is we try and help you hire the right people, or we try and train your team so that they can do that work themselves. And we then move on to other work in the organization, because the truth is that there's there's always more stuff to do. Once you start to see that this is working, and once you start to see that, there's um, sales that are being driven by this. You know, you put in a quarter, you get out a dollar, then there's more money that you're ready to devote to it. And so then there's more things that you're gonna do. And so we have clients that started out by not having any marketing at all, not having any analytics at all. And now they've got teams that do these things and their sales have grown and grown and grown. And so they've been able to afford building these things, but we're helping them with other stuff. We have some of these kinds where we're working on machine learning applications with them now because they now have so much data that we're using really advanced techniques to kind of optimize what these journeys are and finding patterns in them that people could never find just looking at it. You need a computer to find them and that stuff's not cheap but they would never have started there. That wouldn't make any sense for them to start there. But they've built up to that because they've grown their business and they've grown their marketing acumen to the point that that is the level of problem that makes sense to solve now. And so we're not like an agency that comes in, takes over three of your functions and hangs on to it like grim death, hoping you won't fire them, right? It doesn't make sense (laughs) to us that that's a good way to help clients. The way to help clients is, to advise them on the things that they wanna do themselves. And if there are things that they can't do themselves, then we'll do that for them. And where that line is drawn changes as the organization matures. It's
0: not some static thing that
1: will be the same forever.
0: Well, and I think you hit on something that that we've heard quite a few times in in the course of these interviews and doing the podcasts and, and getting ready for the book. And it's this idea that crawl, walk, run right, that a lot of organizations want to go to that advanced phase very early on. They want the dashboard that they've seen their contemporaries have when they've talked to them at dinners or at some of their CEO get-togethers. They want to see the sophisticated reporting and analytics, and they want to jump to that immediately versus taking those first small intuitive steps to get them to a place where they are becoming a data run data-driven organization. And so it it sounds like everything you've just been, oh, I'll answer in a second, but it sounds like everything you've been talking about is actually helping them to evolve as a culture.
1: It's really the case because the biggest mistake is to overreach in my opinion, because marketing ought to pay for itself. It shouldn't be this thing where you have to make this enormous leap of faith, spend tremendous amounts of money, and then hope that things work. It just doesn't make sense to me that that's the way to approach it. Instead, what you should be doing is you should be trying small things, spending small amounts of money, and seeing that small amounts of money start to generate medium amounts of money. And so when you start to get that kind of confidence, then you start to say, oh, boy, wow, if we put that much in and we get that much out, what would we put in if we put in even more. What would happen then? It starts to be fun, right? It starts to be something where you say, you don't feel pressure about it. You start saying, wow, this looks like a great opportunity. What do we do here? And so you're right that a lot of it is about changing culture. Because if people look at marketing as a set of activities that should be performed rather than marketing as being the way that you're really trying to understand the market fit of your product with your customers, the way you're trying to understand the messaging that you reach them with, and the way you're going to prove that you're understanding those things is that you're going to see sales go up and you're going to see sales going up driven by the marketing that you're doing. And if you're not seeing those things, then you're not doing it right and and so it's not that you're not spending enough. It's not that you're you don't have the right attitude. It's not any of those things. It's that you are not doing the right kind of marketing, or worse you don't have the kind of product that really will fit the market, right? So sometimes what people think of as marketing failures are really product and offering failures. And so we have to kind of be open to the idea that even though most people split product development from marketing in this modern era, the truth is that product is one of the four Ps traditionally thought of in marketing. And you have to be willing to change your product as much as you're willing to change your marketing and your marketing tactics. Because those are the things that as you keep changing all those things, that's how you find that market fit. That's how you find your audience. That's how you find your message. That's how
0: you find the things that really lead to sales. Mike, this is fantastic. Um, We are running out of time. The the clock on this goes by really, really fast. It's it's like there's regular time and then there's podcast time. And then there's, you know, the other end of it, which is doing your taxes time, which is super slow. But this, uh, <laughs> this time goes by really fast. So, uh, I want to thank you for, for hopping on. I want to give you the opportunity. Is there any last bit, you know, anything that you would, if there were a couple of founders sitting in front of you and you had just had this conversation, any last bits of words, advice, wisdom, or, um, you know, traps to avoid as they're thinking about, again, really becoming a data-driven culture in their organization?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say the one thing that I see, and I see this in small companies and big companies, is that there is a certain mindset that creeps in sometimes where people say, well, we can't do data-driven decision-making because our data isn't that good. And we really have to make the data a lot better before we can start making the decisions. And and until then, we're going to still just go with our golden guts because the data isn't good enough. So we're just going to use our judgment. And that's actually the worst thing that you can do. Um, and it's not because everybody has bad judgment. It's because your judgment probably doesn't get much better very fast and your judgment doesn't scale and so if you're trying to grow you need to have a way of making decisions that scales and so what i've done plenty of times um when we've come in and, and been in these situations in fact like the on my second book's called do it wrong quickly and the reason is because you're better off using data to make a wrong decision than you are using your judgment to make a right decision. And the reason is because the next time you have to make a decision, if you used your judgment, you might get it right or you might get it wrong. But if you use data to make the wrong decision, you learned from that that the data was no good. And so then you are now motivated to fix the data. If you don't use the data for decision-making, there is no motivation to fix the data. There's no motivation to make that data better. And so I argue that the way to focus on this is the way you'll get your data to be better is to start making decisions on it. And if it may gives everybody queasiness to do that, then they're going to focus really hard on making that data better and better and better. And there's no reason to invest in data if you're not going to make, you make decisions with it. And so make the decisions first, do the culture change first, make all the decisions based on data, and you will find there will be no end of people interested in to making the investment to make the data better and better and better. And that's the to me, the key to this is to act first, and then you'll get your confidence about it later. If you wait until you have confidence in your data, it's going to take forever to get the improvements in the data that you need before you feel comfortable. It's not about being comfortable. This is about developing a system that makes itself improve and lets you scale.
0: That's awesome. All right, Mike. Thank you so much. This was uh, this was such a great conversation. I loved your point of view. I was really impressed in that we talked on a level that was sort of the macro and the micro. You talked about the details and how to go in and make data useful for an organization and what those steps look like. But then you also talked about how to do that and do it successfully. You have to start thinking of this as a a cultural shift in the organization, about being a data-driven organization, and not just using those words, but what does it really mean? And the two of them play off of each other, and I think you elucidated on that very nicely. So... Mike, thank you. This is a great conversation. Loved having you on and uh, you know, would love to see you come back and, and share some of these views even deeper. Absolutely, Todd. Thanks for the opportunity. I'd love to come back someday. I love listening to Mike and his perspectives. He had some really great ideas that we shared today. Uh, one of the things that he really talks about is, one, uh, there really are very few founders that are marketing people. And, and this is true since the the dawn of time. We tend to have a lot of marketers who are uh, engineering-driven, or product-driven, and there's nothing wrong with that, but having that marketing point of view is a rarity. And so Mike does a fantastic job of working with his clients to help bring that both understanding and empathy from a founder's perspective and also bring that marketing expertise. He also realizes that you know most people really look at this as, we want to have data, we need data, Data is important to us. Um, And he finds a way to take that data. And then he even says it here, you know, digital is really where the investment needs to go. But the way you need to go about it is very small experiments. You need to make a lot of small bets, figure out which ones work, and move and evolve from there. Uh, Mike is somebody that I definitely think you need to follow, especially as we talked about today. These concepts of net present value and customer acquisition costs are really important. So where do you find them? How do you get in touch with them? Well, you can go to MikeMoran.com. That's Mike as in Mike, M-O-R-A-N. Or you can find him at Twitter at Mike Moran or at LinkedIn at, guess again, Mike Moran. And then one of the books that I would strongly suggest you pick up is Mike's book, Do It Wrong Quickly, And that's available on Amazon. Do it wrong quickly. It's fantastic and will help you make the right types of investments in your business as you build a data-driven organization. Easier said than done. Now, this is uh, an exciting interview for us. I'm very appreciative of Mike jumping on board. If you would like to hear further views of what Mike represents and how other founders have thought about their journey through being founders and entrepreneurs, I strongly suggest you pick up our book. That's Beyond Product. You can find it on Amazon, you can find it at Barnes & Noble, you can find it at your local bookstore. But Beyond Product brings around 70 different entrepreneurs, advisors, investors, who came out and told us exactly where they think, how they think, and what they do to build, grow, and evolve their business. You broke it down into five distinct stages, and walk you through what to do with each stage, how to do it, and some great tips and tidbits along the way. Strong you pick it up. That's it for me this week. Look forward to seeing you again as we are quickly closing out the year 2019. And we're going to do it with the bank. So stay tuned for that too. Talk to you soon. See you next week. You've been listening
1: to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.